As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Today's episode of the All Angels Podcast is brought to you by Sports Drink, your digital water cooler. Sports Drink is a newly created internet community that tries to find the intersection of sports and not sports. They're here to help us grow and hate your favorite team. A rising tide floats all boats, so go check them out online and on social. Go to sportsdrink.org or open Instagram and type in at S-P-R-T-S-D-R-N-K. Spelled like sports drink without the vowels. Oh, got it, got it, got it! 33! Center field, Marsh leaps, and he got it! it normally high fly ball deep left field oh 27 does it again through this year wall sends it well out to left center field and it's gone he went to jared way this is brandon marsh the los angeles angels baseball you listen to all angels podcasts And welcome to another edition of the All Angels Podcast. I am your host, Daniel Garcia. Battling through a little bit of a cold, so if I sound worse than normal, uh, hopefully it will be all cleared up by this weekend's podcast. But we're going to work through it. It might sound a little different, but I am here to hopefully ease the pain of the last series against Texas. It just seems that since that new stadium was opened, Texas has been really a thorn in the Angels' side, not even mattering how good the actual team is. And I will say this before we get into the overall series, I do really believe that this Texas team is a lot better than last year's Texas team. So for all, all the tweets and all the messages on social media saying oh but it's texas or i can't believe that happened to the ranger with the rangers i i honestly think this team and the way that seattle's playing right now this team could very easily finish third in the division so i don't think this texas team is as bad as a lot of people think they are obviously last year was a really bad year but when you add guys like simeon and I know he hasn't been performing very well at to this point, but Seeger, those two guys alone can bring a presence to this clubhouse. And you've noticed it with the Angel Clubhouse, how a couple of additions here and there can change it. And for me not to sit here and say that that can't happen for any other clubhouse would be kind of uh, naive. So I do think this Texas Rangers team is better than last year. Their pitchers are better than last year. They're they're a little bit older. Their young guys are, are developing a little quicker. And, you know, this Texas Ranger might not be a team that is going to compete for a playoff spot, but at the same time, I don't think it's a team that's going to be such a pushover, kind of how they were last year. This, this 
this Rangers team has some pop to it, and, and unfortunately, the Angels found that out this last week, um, playing out in Texas, finishing up this road trip, first start up in uh, Oakland, now finishing out at uh, out in Arlington against the Texas Rangers. And so let's start, unfortunately, let's start on Monday. So Monday, the Angels start their three-game set with the Texas Rangers with Noah Syndergaard on the mound. And for all intents and purposes, when I reviewed this series last podcast, I honestly felt probably the most comfortable with this start from Noah putting the Angels up on the right foot as far as getting out of the blocks with the win in this series. But that is not exactly how it happened. But it did start out pretty good when the Angels scored three runs off of two doubles, one one from Shohei Otani and another one from Brandon Marsh to give the Angels a 3-0 lead after the top of the first. But unfortunately, that didn't stick, and it didn't stick for long as Noah Syndergaard really, really seemed to struggle with um, guys on base. You saw it right away when Eli White, a guy who has a lot of speed, who can steal bases, gets on as a first as a leadoff batter for the Texas Rangers. After that, he ends up stealing second base. And it just seemed like from that point on, Noah wasn't able to get in a groove. Usually, and I think this is all pitchers, not just Angels pitchers, but all pitchers, that first inning is kind of a time where you want to very much limit the guys on base because you want to focus on the batters. You want to get your feel. You want to be able to get your groove. You know, you warm up in the bullpen um, mound, and now you have to kind of get used to the actual game mound. And usually that first inning is where you do that. But it seemed like soon as White got on got on the bases, Noah's attention went from let me try to get my feel for my pitches or let me try to focus on getting this guy out and getting in a nice comfort comfort zone went to I got to make sure this guy doesn't steal more bases on me and it went completely sideways after that it just you know you you kind of have to sit tell yourself you're up with a three-run lead even if that guy that got on first and steals all the way around the bases scores you're still up by two runs but it just seemed like Syndergaard had a really really hard time focusing on the guy's at home plate but obviously it kind of snowballed from there after the Eli White walk and stolen base he ends up walking Marcus Simeon giving up a single followed by a double then a sack fly by Cole Calhoun and something that you don't see very often with the score tied 3-3 is that uh, an error by Jared Walsh that ends up giving the Rangers the lead 4-3 and you know it just it just did not seem to click. It just didn't seem to work for the guys trying to get out of that first inning. When it was all said and done, the Angels were would be down 6-3 to three after the first inning. And with Noah Syndergaard having his worst outing, I believe, of his career, definitely his worst outing as an Angel, only going two-thirds of an inning, giving up four hits, six runs, four of them earned, walking two, and only striking out one. So we can say that it was just a bad start, and I honestly think that's what it is with Noah Syndergaard. But I think with this start, though, there are a definite, definitely some kind of holes in his game, primarily controlling base runners. And if this were to happen 
let's say in the third or fourth inning where he's already found a groove, already kind of found his rhythm, I don't think it snowballs the way it did in this game. I think part of the reason why it got as bad as it did is because it was the first inning. It was on on the road. Uh, you know, so there wasn't a familiarity with with the surroundings. There wasn't a familiarity with the mound. And when you're really trying to get comfortable and trying to find a groove, it's really hard when you also have to worry about the guy stealing a base on you because you're not naturally quick to home plate, which Syndergaard is not. So this is something to watch out for for his next outing. He did say after the um, the game that health-wise he feels fine. Nothing out of the ordinary there. He's still trying to tweak with his mechanics, which to me kind of, I don't want to say like a red flag, but maybe kind of, you know, raise an eyebrow just because I've never pitched. I don't, I don't, I've never acted like I know how to pitch, but for you to be tweaking your mechanics right now, when it seems like before everything was going fine, it makes me kind of feel like, are you just not sure about what you have or, what's going on. So I, I don't know if there's anything to read into that or nothing to read into that, but that's just something that, that caught my eye. You know, you, he's been doing so well with the Angels so far this year. You kind of felt like he had everything locked down since the Tommy John surgery, but maybe not. Maybe he's still working on some things and maybe this is a product of it. Just like when you're in spring training, you know, you always hear pitchers that are working on certain pitches or working on certain sequences and they don't really worry about the outcome of the game. Well, this is the, the the regular season. And if he's still kind of tweaking with things, it's going to be really hard to tweak things on the mound while still trying to compete and win games. So I'm not sure exactly how that's going to work out, but I just found that as kind of odd for him to say that. But either way you look at it, the angels were still in this game because only down three with a whole game left, you know, this angels offense could can produce and could produce really quickly and granted to Jaime Barea, who came out of the bullpen to relieve Noah Syndergaard, he ended up giving up a hit in that very first inning and some runs scored that were credited to Noah Syndergaard. But after that, Jaime Barea ended up going four innings, four in the third innings, giving up only three hits, walking one and striking out four. There's been a lot of questions surrounding Jaime Barea because he hasn't pitched in close to a month, I think, or, or somewhere around there. What is his usage going to be? How often are you planning to use him? Is he just taking up a space in a bullpen where someone who could be used more often should be there? There's a lot of questions surrounding Jaime Brea right now and what his role is with the Angels. Is he just going to be a three, four, five inning kind of pitcher out of the bullpen? And if he is, how often are you really going to use him? Granted, it was great to have him there with a situation like this where you know, your starting pitcher doesn't get out of the first inning, but the starting pitching has been pretty done pretty well this year. And you're not going to have a use for someone like that very often. You know, is he taking a spot for a guy that could be used in more high leverage situation? I don't know. And I guess we'll have a better idea once Archie Bradley and Austin Warren come back from injury, because I think more so than any other series in the past, you felt those two guys' absence the most in this series where there were some crucial times where you needed a bridge to get from one guy to the other. And you're de- depending on some guys that like we mentioned in the beginning of the year that aren't probably meant for that position. They're meant to be in the sixth inning, maybe the seventh inning. But when you have those kind of guys in the eighth inning, trying to get in position to save a game, you know, 
not a lot of good things can happen. And a lot of guys that are probably out of position when it comes to bullpen usage in this series. But the Angels would start calling back in the fourth inning when Andrew Velasquez singles on a sharp line drive to center field that scores Jared Walsh to make the score 6-4. to four. And right now in the seventh inning, it's still 6-4, to four, and you still feel pretty good about yourself. Here comes Mike Myers, who has been a guy that has been very up and down. And I think with him, that drives a lot of fans crazy because there are times where you can probably take three or four games in a row, like a snippet, and look at it, and he looked really, really good. And then there's times where you can take a two-game sample size, and it just does not look good at all, like he doesn't belong on a major major league roster. And I don't know. I He's one of these guys where you need to have him in a low-lever situation, which, granted, at this point, down by two um, in the in the fourth or in the seventh inning, is kind of a low leverage situation. But, you know, again, if if Archie Bradley was there, if Austin Warren was there, I think one of those guys probably fit best in this spot. But he ends up giving up a home run to Jonah Heim, who is quickly, quickly becoming the next angel killer, not only from what he did this series, but if you remember when Shohei Otani uh, took the mound originally in Texas earlier this year. He hit the grand slam off of Otani, off his splitter that no one has ever hit a home run off of since or then and since, I believe. So he is quickly becoming a angel killer, and the Angels would end up dropping this first game 7-4. to four. And honestly, too, with Jaime Berea spent taking up so many innings, I was feeling fairly confident in this bullpen going forward the worst thing in the world when you have a pitcher not get out of the first inning is that wow where does this put my pitching staff as a a bullpen where does it put them as usage are they going to be available tomorrow and if they're available the next day that definitely means they're not going to be available you know on on Wednesday but for Jaime Brea to come in and give you four plus innings very good innings like I mentioned three only three hits no runs one walk and four strikeouts um, shows that he is at some kind of value to this to this team. I just, you know, I don't know if that is also starting wise if he's going to be in competition for that sixth spot, which I thought by now he would have had a shot because honestly, the Angels just seem like they're just leaving him in there, using him, you know, once every three weeks. And I don't know how great that is for him as a de- as he develops. He's still young, or how great that is to to take up a spot in the bullpen where maybe. Um, maybe not now because like I mentioned, the health issues with Warren and Bradley, they're on the shelf for, for the time being, maybe you don't have a better option, but once those guys get back, how are you going to use Brea? Is he just going to sit there and be used every three weeks? And I think if that's the case, I know he's out of options and I know he's, if you, if you tried to send him to triple a, you're going to have to pass him through waivers. And with the numbers he's put up so far this year, I would be completely shocked if another MLB team didn't at least pick him up and and try him out as a starter, especially one of those teams who have a young core who might not be ready to win yet. But because of Jaime's age can kind of fit in that in that pitching staff for, for a younger team. And so I don't think you risk putting him through that. But at the same time, it's, it's just hard because I don't know where he fits with his bullpen, and that's going to be a big question moving forward is how does Jaime Berea fit 
with this team? Is it as a starter? Is it as a spot starter? Is it as a bullpen piece? Is it as a guy that just pitches every three weeks? I don't know, but I feel like there's something there that can that can improve the team, whether it's using him more um, or putting someone in that spot that they can use more. So when we look at the overall picture of this team, there are holes. And I think this series definitely showcased it, that this team isn't a by by any means a finished product. There are holes to be filled in this team and maybe even tweaks to how guys are used on this team who are already on the team. You know, I think there will be additions down the line. I think there should be additions down the line. But there are also ways you can tweak the guys on this team right now to make this team better. And I think using Jaime Barea in, in more situations is one of those ways. It doesn't need to be always three runs or three innings. Maybe as an inning guy, maybe as a two-inning guy. But there's a ton of guys in that bullpen that have been asked to get multiple innings that I'm just very surprised that Jaime wasn't that guy up instead of um, just a random Ortega or Myers. Myers went two innings in this game. Granted, Barea was earlier. But there's been other times where Myers has been asked to get multiple innings. Why not Barea at that time? I, I That I don't understand. And hopefully they can kind of figure this out and have a more serious spot in this bullpen rotation lineup or whatever for Jaime Barea. So now let's move on to the next game on Tuesday again against the Texas Rangers where you had Reed Detmers on the mound after his no hitter. And I mentioned this before um, in last podcast. This was the one I was really interested in watching as far as how Reed Detmers responds to not only throwing a no-hitter, but career highs in pitches, career highs in innings. All that stuff has has have to wear on you. And not to mention just throwing a, a no-hitter. You got even more eyes on you. You got interviews. You got a whole bunch of MLB um, network stuff and angel stuff and interviews. So much more stuff than you're used to. So much more stuff that probably takes away from you getting ready. Granted, a lot of people... Well, it's a week. He should be ready in a week. You know, how can he be tired after having a week off? And if you just think it's just the arm part that gets tired, then I don't know what to tell you because I I had a feeling coming into this game, there was going to be so much more than just can he throw 90 pitches in this game effectively. It was going to be the mindset. How is he going to react when there's more eyes on him now? Because regardless of they were playing Texas Rangers or the New York Yankees or uh, the Houston Astros or one of these marquee teams, there was going to be eyes on him to see what he does coming off a no-hitter. Does that make him maybe hold the ball a little tighter? Does it make him try to throw a little harder, which means throws off his balance? There was so much stuff that could have happened in this game with three Detmers that I was not surprised with, with what happened. And that's not saying anything bad about Reed. I actually made to the um, the comparison between Reed Detmers and what he did to Michael Lorenzen and what he did earlier in this year against Chicago, where he gets into the ninth inning. At that point, career high in innings, career high in pitches. He's a guy that mainly was coming out of the bullpen for the last handful of years. How is he going to respond after all this um, usage and he's not used to it? Same, You can say almost say the same thing about Detmers. He hasn't been used this much in his whole playing career. You met, he mentioned it when he was in college and 
And uh, in the minors, he never got to the eighth or ninth inning. So there are so much things that can happen after a no-hitter that you just have no control over. And to think that it's like, oh, it's a week and it's going to blow over and he'll be fine, I think is kind of naive and not understanding there's a bigger picture than just how's my arm feel. There's a mental aspect to this game. There's a mental aspect to pitching more so than anything. So for him to kind of struggle, and I think the best thing that I heard after the game, and they talked about it on, on the Thursday game or the Wednesday game, was that Reed now felt like he had the pressure taken off his back. And that's something that you can't you can't uh, uh, take an account for when you're thinking, like, oh, this guy's going to give me six or seven innings. It's, there is an extra pressure on his back, and he admitted it, that now he can get that pressure off his back. Now he's looking forward to his next outing. Like I mentioned, with Michael Lorenzen and his last outing where he was in Chicago and he ended up going into the ninth inning, his next time out there, he ended up only getting into the fifth inning, going four and two-thirds, giving up five runs off of two home runs. So it's very similar to what Reed Detmers did this outing in Texas. But right after that, the start after that, when the pressure was off and he can kind of get back to normal and, and truly fully recover from that long outing, Lorenzen went seven innings, only giving up one run and three Ks. So if I'm over here and, and I'm, you know, pro Detmers and I am, I'm not worried about this start. I'm not worried about, you know, what happened in this game for Detmers because I, I see that the no hitter probably took a lot out of him the more than he's willing to admit. But there's evidence that once you bounce back after that no hitter game and the one after that, there's a very good chance that he's going to bounce back and perform well again. So, for people that were saying that, well, he had a whole week off and he that shouldn't be an issue, it was. And if you don't think it was, then I don't know what to tell you. But Reed Demers will be fine. Reed Demers will still be a – and I mentioned this before when he threw the no-hitter. He's a guy still ascending. He's still a guy developing. And at any point when you are developing a young talent, whether it's a pitcher or a position player, there's going to be ups and downs. You know, obviously, Detmers had the highest of highs, but there are still going to be some downs in that developmental process. He's not a finished pitcher yet. So maybe it's just one of those developmental stages where he takes notes and he's able to get out of it and gets better from it. And that's, I think, as Angel fans, that's something we should really hope for. But going into that game on Tuesday, Texas got up early on the Angels when they scored in the bottom of the first. But in the top of the third, Angels would... um, would come back scoring three uh, three runs. The first run coming off a Taylor Ward home run that this guy is the absolute surprise of the league. Definitely of the AL, probably of the whole uh, MLB. This guy has surprised numerous people with his production. And honestly, it's something that the Angels really need. The Angels aren't where they are. They're, they ain't, look, let me redo that again. The Angels aren't aren't where they are right now without Taylor Ward. A lot of people like to say the pitching. A lot of people like to say because of the bullpen and stuff like that. That is also true. But even with those great numbers in the bullpen and the starting pitching, I still don't think the Angels are where they're at without Taylor Ward. He hit his eighth or his ninth home run in this game. He ended up tying the game at one apiece. And right after that, uh, with Mike Trout on base, Anthony Rendon hits his fifth home run of the year, making the score three to one. Anthony Rendon is seen to be heating up a little bit. He is notoriously known as a slow starter. And if you guys remember, I believe in that um, 
what was it, the 2020 season, the COVID season, he was really, really starting to heat up at the end of that season when they were like 45, 50 games into the season. And you're just thinking like, man, if that was a full season, he would be absolutely tearing the ball off, uh, tearing the cover off the ball. And I think that's kind of where he's at now. I think you can definitely start seeing a little bit more of improvement from Anthony Rendon. It's still early in the year or was early in the year. Now I think he's going to be able to, now he's able to have more and more at-bats to get his legs underneath him. And remember, and this is going way back to before the season started, yes, he had hip surgery on both hips. Now he has hips are fine and, and healthy. But at the same time, during that recovery process, there is a certain time where you can't be up on walking around or working out or doing squats or doing any kind of lower leg work. And how far did that put him behind getting ready for this season? So it is going to be a little bit of a slower start to this season. We'll see how it is at the All-Star break. I'll be more than willing to say at this point he has five home runs at the All-Star break. If he doesn't have something closer to 15, I'll be really shocked. I think, you know, for Anthony Rendon, who isn't necessarily known as a power hitter, he is known as a doubles machine. He is known as a guy that gets on base. If he can get you 25 home runs a year, then I think he's done his job. So hopefully the average starts working its way up. Hopefully the extra bases starts working its way up. But it's still fairly early, and we know how uh, how much of a late starter he is uh, for for his career. So if he can start getting ready now, when it's, you know when it, the calendar clicks over to June and continue that run all the way through September, I think that'd be another great bat in that lineup for the Angels to put out there every day or close to every day. So it would stay that score, it would stay 3-1 to one, all the way to the bottom of the fourth one. Ex-Angel, now turn Angel uh, killer, Cole Calhoun, home, gets a two-run home run off of Reed Detmers, and that would be the last pitch of Reed Detmers' day. You saw a little fire. You saw that he wanted to get out of that inning. You saw that he wasn't ready to come out when Joe Maddow went out there, but you like to see that, but at the, at the same time, I you know was it the right move? Was it was it the wrong move? I'm not a hundred percent sure. I don't know. Um, but Detmers ends up going three and two thirds, giving up three hits, three earned runs, walking two, striking out four, and two home runs. So you can say that the only real mistakes he had was the two pitches, the two home runs that he ended up giving up that contributed to all three runs. But if you watch the game. You can see that he was battling with command. And honestly, it seemed like a lot of the pitchers were for the Angels, not only um, in the first two games, but obviously in the third game as well. There's times where, you know, the umpire thing is so weird because there's so many people out there that love to talk about, well, we need to keep the umps. I love the human element of the game and all this stuff. But then when an ump misses a call, a strike call or a ball call, they're all up in arms about it and they want – you know, well, they need to do better. They need to do better. Well, they're the human element means they can't do better. The human element means they're not perfect. So it's kind of like, do you want one or the other? I am very much pro automatic strike zone. Not saying that if there was an automatic strike zone that it would benefit or hurt the angels by any means, because I'm sure there's a plenty of pitches that angels get the benefit of the doubt on that are not strikes that they could call strikes. So I think it goes both ways, but I think when, as a fan, if you can see a consistent, a consistency with it, I think that's a whole different story. And I've had discussion with 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 friends and people that follow baseball. Is like, well, what happens if they call this a ball when it's really a strike? Well, then that's fine because you know that's going to be called a ball every single time it's thrown there. It's not going to change from time to time. If it's a half a if it's a half a ball out of the strike zone and it's called a strike, 
Well, now the batters know a half a ball out of the strike zone is going to be called a strike, and you can prepare yourself for that. The worst part in the world is when that half a ball out of the strike zone is called a strike, and then a ball, and then a ball, and then a strike, and you don't know how to prepare yourself for it. So automatic strike zone could be a very fun topic later down the line, but as of for me, I am very much pro automatic strike zone and if you have any opinion about that go ahead and reach out to us at uh, all angels podcast at gmail.com or at halo underscore haven on our social media stuff so that's it for reed detmers again not a terrible outing a short outing but not a terrible one he ended up throwing 61 pitches um that is kind of a lot to get into the fourth inning but with the pressure and and maybe like i mentioned maybe he was trying to grip the ball a little too hard maybe he was trying to throw a little too hard because of the pressure of coming back off that uh, no-hitter. But needless to say, uh, Ortega comes in. He ends up going an inning and a third, only giving up one hit, one walk, and one strikeout. And we want to go all the way to the last couple innings of this game. With Mike Trout hitting a home run in the top of the seventh to give the Angels the lead 4-3, to three, you think you're in a pretty good situation because you get out of the bottom of the seventh, clean you go now to the bottom of the eighth and at this point you you're thinking okay the back end of this bullpen is proven this back end of the bullpen should be able to come in and lock things up well at this point you now have um ryan tapera to come in and replace kyle bearclaw who has done a pretty good job uh with his time up with the team and like i mentioned before some people say Tapera was getting squeezed, and I'm not saying they're wrong, but it just seemed like even while getting squeezed, he never truly made an adjustment. He gives off a lead, uh, gives up a leadoff double to, to Corey Seager. Again, one of those guys that is going to make this team better, that's making this Texas Ranger team better, whether it's on the field or off the field. I feel like he's one of the main factors of making this team better than they were last year. He ends up giving up a single to the next guy, which ties the score at 4-4, four to four. And he was just never able to get any kind of um, rhythm after that because after that he walks the two straight guys, Jonah Heim and Cole Calhoun. He ends up giving up a single to uh, Nathaniel Lowe, which scores another run that makes the score 5-0. And he was just was never able to get a single out uh, for the whole game. And when you put in Ryan DePera, that is the last thing that you think is going to happen. But it's exactly what happened. And the Angels were never able to really recover from that because the Angels ended up giving up seven runs in the bottom of the eighth from going up one in the seventh to now top of the ninth, you're going to be, you're, you're down six. So a huge blow up inning, an air by a very uncharacteristic air by Brandon Marsh as well. And it just seemed like this was a snowball effect for the whole team in this inning. But the Angels end up getting one in the ninth, cutting the lead to 5-10, to ten, but that's where it would end. Angels end up dropping the second game of this uh, three-game set, 5-10 to ten to the Texas Rangers. Again, a lot of soft contact, and that was kind of the theme of for this whole series with Texas was soft contact. Sometimes it's not a, about being good it's about being lucky or sometimes it's not about hitting the ball square it's about hitting the ball where people aren't you know you can hit the ball as hard as you want but if it's at someone then you know it, it doesn't matter and when you're looking at a single game or maybe even like a small sample size like two or three games like this series was that is fine 
you know, the, the soft contact can carry you only so far. But if you're looking at the big picture, I'm more than happy with the hard contact the Angels made on a lot of those uh, balls put in play because I think over the long term that's going to benefit the Angels where if you're the Texas Rangers, that soft contact is going to last so long before you know, either you miss the ball completely or you square it up and it goes to someone. So there is kind of a bit of a luck that what Rangers had this series. And for the short term, that's great. And that's going to help you win games then. But as far as long term, over a 162 game season, I will definitely take the hard hit balls that will eventually find gaps, that will eventually find it over the fence, that will eventually find it where people aren't. And I think that's what the Angels need to continue doing is not try to reinvent themselves after one bad series, not to reinvent their approach at the plate after one bad series. I think they scored enough runs in these last three games. They scored four on Monday, five on Tuesday, and a five again on Wednesday. That's enough runs. And it's just for whatever reason that pitching really let them down this series. But if you believe in the pitching, if you believe in what, Perry Menagian has done over the last year or last offseason, there's no reason to be too worried or too worked up about what's going on with the Angels right now. So now we go into the uh, Wednesday game, hoping to, to scave off a sweep for the very first time this year. And with Shohei Otani on the mound, it's definitely a good possibility of that. Angels got up early again in the first inning. When the top of the first, you had another home run by Jared Walsh, who ended up having two home runs in this game. One at the very beginning of the game and another one at the very end of the game. So this would be the one on top of the second was Jared Walsh's seventh home run of the year to give the Angels a, a lead 1-0. Mike Trout will continue his MVP reign by hitting another home run at the top of the fourth, giving the Angels a 2-0 lead. And with Shohei Otani on the mound, early on it seemed like he was struggling a bit. Again, I don't know if it's the Texas mound and our pitchers just aren't used to it or don't like it or if it's completely different from what the Angels stadium mound is. I don't know, but... It just seems like they struggle a little bit at the beginning of the game, and Shohei Otani was no exception. He was able to get out of a couple jams. He was able to get out of numerous situations where he fell behind in the count. He didn't seem to be going to a splitter a whole lot during the beginning of the game. It looked like he was a lot of fastball slider type cutter, and his fastball came in. It came in uh, firing because last after last outing, some talk about his velocity being down, comes in, throws 99, 100 numerous times throughout the game, showing that his velocity is right where it needs to be. And Shohei's kind of a different character too because he's kind of old school in a way. I like to think of it old school in a way where nowadays you see pitchers go full go all the time. So when they are down a couple miles per hour on their fastball, it's noticeable and it's a big red flag to a lot of the people. But Shohei's the type of guy that he doesn't necessarily seem to be throwing 100% all the time. He does seem to ramp it up in situations where, A, there's a, there is a guy on scoring position or he needs to get this third out or this third strike. He'll ramp it up at that point. But otherwise, he seems like he's perfectly fine sitting at 96, 97. And yeah, it might look like, oh, his, his velocity's down, but it's kind of like an old school way of looking at it. I'm not going to give you everything I have until I absolutely need it. Not only was that helping his command, but probably helps him extend into later into the game. So whenever Otani's velocity is quote unquote down, 
I don't necessarily worry about it too much because I feel like he's the type of guy that is controlling that. He can control his speed on his fastball. If he wants it to go 95, 96, he'll do it. If he wants it to go 99, 100, he'll throw that too. I think it just fits in certain situations that fit him best. So Shoei Otani did have a very, very good outing on the mound this, this game. He ended up giving up his first run in the bottom of the fourth to who else? Jonah Heim. The only guy that seems to be able to hit Otani consistently, whether it's a grand slam or a little bloop single, but that makes the score two to one. And then in the bottom of the six, Jonah Heim again. Again, this guy is the only guy where if you look at Otani stats or Otani's versus like certain guys or certain teams, he seems to be the only one that consistently pops up with any kind of um, success. And I don't know if it's just straight luck, if there's something that Haim has keyed on, eat on, in on that other guys haven't. But in the bottom of the six, he ends up hitting a double to score Cole Calhoun to tie the game um, two to two. Uh, yeah, I just I don't understand what 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 he does or how he does it. But Otani would end up going six innings, giving up six hits, two earned runs, two walks, seven strikeouts. Still very good numbers when it comes to strikeouts. Still very good numbers on the year. This was a very good outing by Otani. This is a very winnable outing by Otani. But unfortunately, with Mike Myers coming in in the seventh inning, it didn't stay that way for long. When Brad Miller homers off of Mike Myers to give the Texas a 3-2 to two score. Um, now in the eighth inning, Cole Calhoun. Again, bottom of the eighth at this point, Jimmy Herget is in, a guy that I still feel is kind of the underrated piece of the bullpen. He still has a lot to give to this bullpen. He still is, I think, a, a key to this bullpen. But him in the eighth inning, when the score, you're trying to hold it to a one-run lead. Again, if Austin Warren, if Archie Bradley were healthy, you I would pretty much guarantee you would probably see one of those guys in this situation other than Herget, probably Bradley. Um, but they're not available, at least not for now. So you got to put the best guy you have out there right now, and that is Jimmy Herget. Unfortunately, he did not get the job done as Cole Calhoun hits a solo shot to give the Rangers a two-run lead in the bottom of the eighth. But now we go to the bottom of the ninth with the game on the line. And after a leadoff double by Anthony Rendon, Jared Walsh comes up to the plate and delivers on his second home run of the day, making it four to four in the bottom or the top of the ninth and an eighth home run overall. So Jared Walsh seems to be heating up. Jared Walsh seems to be turning into the um, all-star Jared Walsh that he was last year. And this team can produce runs. This team is good at producing runs, but for whatever reason, a strength of the team that has been the strength for this whole season, the bullpen, was definitely the weakness of this series. And that goes all the way to the bottom of the 10th. After the Angels score one run in the top of the 10th, thanks to the Ghost Runner, you had Rossell Iglesias, who had been brought in on the bottom of the ninth when Jose Suarez was not able to get out of the ninth inning. He left the game with the bases loaded, but you had Rossell Iglesias come in and be able to shut the shut the door and get out of the inning. But this would be his first game all year long where he has to – it's not two full innings, obviously, because he only had to get one out, but the, it was the first time where he had to go uh, – he had an up-down, where you sit down for a half an inning and have to get back up again and get motivated, get 
kind of the adrenaline going again. And that seemed to be a issue because with the very first pitch of that bottom of the 10th with the ghost runner on second, he gives up a home run to Nate Lowell, his second home run of the year to walk it off five to six. So with Rosselli Iglesias, obviously that is not a great back-to-back outing by Rosselli Iglesias, giving up two walk-off home runs to two teams that are, are below the Angels in the standings. But at the same time, with this outing, I'm not sure how much of it was he he threw a flat slider. Let, I mean, that's that's what caused the home run. But how much of it was because he had to try to get amped up again after having to come in in the bottom of the ninth, get that final out, sit down for the top of the tenth, and then come back up and get ready again without having to do that at all so far this year? Do I think there's an issue with Iglesias? No. Do I think he might have taken a half a step back from where he was last year, perhaps. But that still makes him a very good closer. That still makes him a closer that a better closer than the Angels have had in, in, in years past. So I'm not ready to completely throw the book in on Rossell Iglesias. I still think it's two bad outings. We'll see what happens when he gets back home. Back into a situation where it is the ninth inning with a run, one or two run lead, and he doesn't have to worry about coming in, finishing off an inning, sitting down, and getting ready for the next inning. So we'll see how that kind of plays out for this next homestand with the Angels. And we'll talk a little bit more about that right after this. Let me talk about our next sponsor, ColorCast. ColorCast is a live, audio-only sports talk platform, free to download and free to use. Talk to fans, athletes, and interact in real time, perfect for watch parties, debates, post-game breakdowns, and reacting to breaking news. Share your own experiences on the app. All you need to do is download the ColorCast app free in the iOS app store. Create a profile and link your Twitter. That's all. Come with your spectacular takes. So as we record this on Thursday night, the Angels are getting ready to take on the Oakland A's again for a three-game series um, Friday, Saturday, Sunday here at the Big A. You have your starting pitchers already announced, and we kind of talked about this last week. Uh, Chase Sealseth will make his second start of the year of his career Friday at the Big A. And then on Saturday, you have Michael Lorenzen taking on the A's probably best pitcher right now, Frankie Montas. Remember when the Angels faced him in Oakland, he had a very, very good game. Um, so that's going to be your Saturday matchup. And then on Sunday, you have Patrick Sandoval take the mound for the Angels during the afternoon game with the A's TBD still to be determined. Uh, you know, the pitching matchups are, are okay this this outing. We'll see how Chase Silseth does against Paul Blackburn. Actually, Paul Blackburn, looking at his numbers, has actually been the best pitcher for the A's so far this year with a 4-0 Record with a 1.67 ERA. Obviously, there the, the trick is going to be get to him, get to the bullpen, and make him work because I believe the bullpen is going to be a spot where you can score a lot of runs on the A's. And as far as Chase goes, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how he bounces back from his start uh, last time and, and kind of like what happened with Reed Detmers. How does the, a pressure affect him now? Granted, he didn't throw a no hitter or do anything like that, but uh, six scoreless innings will turn heads, especially when it's in your MLB debut. Is there a sen- sudden sense of pressure pitching at home now? Um, are you gonna? Is he gonna? Like I mentioned with with Reed, hold the ball a little tighter, try to throw a little harder. Is he gonna try to you know 
get out, not try to get out of his zone, but is he going to be out of his zone trying to prove that the last outing wasn't a fluke? And I think that's something to really look at or pay attention to on Friday's game. But other than that, you know, the Oakland A's are at the bottom of the division right now. The Oakland A's are a team that I think, especially if you get to their bullpen, they can give up some runs. And that's exactly what the Angels need to do, bouncing back from the loss the sweep against Texas. Now you have an off day Thursday and you have an off day coming up Monday. So the three game set, hopefully you're able to see all the starters all the time because um, one of the questions I got in our DMs was about Matt Duffy and what he is bringing to the team right now. He got brought up to the team Duffy did for some offensive pop, for some offensive, um, not pop necessarily in home runs, but on base and able to have a, a, good offensive bat he hasn't really proven that yet he came in as like a super utility guy but with obviously Velasquez seems to be locked down that shortstop spot and now you have Wade and Renjifo battling out that second base spot there isn't really a big spot for Duffy so putting him as a first baseman is kind of in my eyes when he was that first baseman I believe on Tuesday for Jared Walsh, who needed a day off. Was it Tuesday or Wednesday? I think it was Tuesday, where he needed a day off. Jared Walsh had played all the games in Oakland, including the doubleheader. Um, it was time for him to get, get a day off, but the Angels don't have a true backup first baseman, and they haven't had one for a while. Since they got rid of Albert, I don't really remember the last time they had a true backup first baseman. And you saw during spring training when Upton was still on the team, him and Duffy getting... Uh, f- getting grounders at first base for something like this. But I am still not 100% comfortable with Duffy at first base, whether it's, you know, uh, uh, digging up a ball that was thrown in the dirt and picking it, or even to trying to get a swipe off a pickoff move from the pitcher. It just makes me always kind of hold my breath if there's a pickoff attempt at first that Duffy is actually not even going to get it. So there's a lot of stuff that needs to happen with this team, a lot of depth that needs to be built out with this team. Obviously, you need. I, I do believe you need some kind of a true backup first baseman. That Duffy move to first base, I don't believe is going to be um, the thing. And I do think one of the other things that needs to help this team and will happen in time is that you need to get your catchers back. Um, you need to get, you know, obviously you need to get Stassi back. And for as many people that don't love it, I think you do need to get, get Kurt Suzuki back. Because I do, I do not believe with what's there now, Chad Walrick had a great opening game at Angels Stadium during the no-hitter. He caught a no-hitter and he hit a home run and had a couple extra base hits. But since then, he has really slowed down and really kind of people have kind of found him out a little bit. And Austin Warren, or not Austin, Austin Romine, you know, he brings a lot to the table as far as a veteran presence being around as long as he has. But I obviously his better days are behind him. I do think you need Stassi, and I do think you need Suzuki back as the catchers. Hopefully soon, hopefully with the game on Friday, we're able to get some news out to when these guys, A, are going to go on rehab assignments like they did with Duffy. Duffy had one game in Salt Lake before he came back. And B, when they're going to be activated. Because I think once those two guys come back, you automatically get better um, with your catching position with Stassi back there and obviously Kurt. Even though a lot of people will not admit to it Kurt I think has had a a very good year so far to his standards obviously you're not going to confuse him with a 
all-star by, by any means, but I think this year he's had a better season than last. And obviously, Max Dassey, you sign him to that extension during spring training for a reason. He needs to be out there. He needs to be your everyday catcher. So obviously, there's a lot of things that need to happen. A lot of guys need to get healthy. I think the Angels are kind of going through their injury phase right now. Luckily, it doesn't seem like that phase will last super long. Um, there was a post by Austin Warren earlier this week saying that he, you know, for all intents and purposes, had a great doctor's visit um, and he's all smiles. And maybe that means he can start throwing pretty soon. Or maybe that means he can, you know, we can get that kind of a timetable on when he can return to the Angels because the bullpen really needs him. Hopefully during this weekend, we can get some kind of a timetable on Archie Bradley because the Angels need him as well. But if you get these guys back in to the, to the lineup and to the bullpen. I think this Angel team continues to be what it was prior to the Texas series. And and let's and, and let's be honest, it's one bad series. It's one bad series for the Angels against a team that granted is not the best, but when you look at the standings, the Angels are still sitting at 24 and 16, only one game behind the Houston Astros for the lead in the division. And and you can say what you want about what this team is or isn't or anything like that. But coming into this this season, the podcast, the professionals, whoever, the, the most homerist of homer podcasts out there had like the Angels at 90, I think like at 96, 97 wins. So right now the Angels are actually on that pace. For After that sweep, the Angels are at 97 win pace. You know, they were at 100 plus wins for most of the season, but if we're going to be honest with each other, they were never going to be a 100-win team with what they have right now. Now, during the trade deadline, if they pick up a starting pitcher and they pick up a bullpen piece and maybe a middle infielder and a first base or something, you get a combination of like three or four different players, then, yeah, maybe they can bump that to a 100-win uh, team. But right now, they're at a 97-win 97 97 pace. And for all us Angel fans, we will take that. I don't think anyone out there thought they were going to be a 100-plus win team going into this year. So I think they're more just falling back into who they are. And for me, I thought they were going to be like a 93-94 win team, which is still great, which I still think they can be. But let's not jump off the ledge when they are still uh, poised to win 97 games right now as we stand. If they fall back and are now only win 95 games, it's not the end of the world. This team is still a lot better than it has been in the past. And I think that's what Angel fans are worried about. They get so kind of shell-shocked and traumatized from years past that they just see this all going down in a blaze of glory. Now, I don't think this offense will let it happen. I would love to see the offense be a little bit more consistent but I think this offense will then keep them in the games. They were in games this whole three games against Texas. They were in it. But because of a pitching blunder or maybe um, an, uh, a fielding blunder, they didn't win it. But the offense kept them in all those games. It wasn't necessarily like on the Tuesday game. Yes, it looked like a blowout. But that game was a lot closer than when it looked if you just look at the box score. That game was close the whole way through until that eighth inning. So I don't think there's anything really to worry about with the Angels right now. This team is still good. This team is still one of the best teams in the AL. You look at some of the other teams leading divisions. The Yankees, very good. Minnesota, I'm not 100% sold on Minnesota winning the Central. Chicago is slowly trying to build themselves back, and they're still at 500. So the Angels have put themselves in a very, very good spot going into 
the June months where they are going to start facing a little tougher of a test and maybe they are able to prove themselves and, and get those guys back healthy and win a handful of those games against teams like New York and Toronto right before right at the end of May so we'll see how that plays out and you know there's going to be a, a meeting with Houston next month and how do they do then so I think this team is going to do very well this team is in a good spot yeah it sucks to get swept by Texas but like I mentioned Texas right now is 17 and 19 but they're still third place in the division ahead of Seattle and Oakland and yeah they're, they're a lot better team than than they have been in the past. Look at their run differential. It's only minus four compared to minus 11 or minus 28 from the other two teams in the division. I, you know, I just feel like Texas losing getting swept by Texas Rangers isn't the same as getting swept by the Texas Rangers last year. I think they have done better this year. I think they're a better team, but the Angels have a very good chance now to get back on the good foot going against Oakland, three games against Oakland again. If you could take two out of the three, you'll take it. And then you have a day off and you have a quick two-game set against those Texas Rangers to kind of get uh, the fight back and, and get a little bit of revenge. So that is something that I'll be really looking forward to. So uh, next podcast is going to come out on Sunday night after this Oakland series, hopefully with good news. I'm all about good news. And if they can somehow also be um, within a game of the division or even leading the division, that'll be great because now – Texas takes on Houston for what looks like a four-game set. And now we went from booing the Texas Rangers to now cheering for the Texas Rangers. So we'll have to wait and see how all that uh, plays out this weekend. So I will be back Sunday night recording a new episode. And then as of right now, we are also going to have a special episode that's going to drop Tuesday and that's going to be with Bill Shaken from the LA Times trying to get a hold of what's going on with the stadium situation with the Angels. So many things have come out since the initial purchase of the land around Angel Stadium that, quite honestly, I have no idea what the hell's going on with that. So hopefully we got a time set for this weekend. We're going to talk. Hopefully that all pans out and we're able to put it out next week as a special edition. So you'll definitely want to uh, subscribe so you don't miss that one and share it because... As an Angel fan, yeah, I want a new stadium. Yeah, as an Angel fan, I think a new stadium would be awesome in that area and and build up that area around Angel Stadium. But what's holding it up? How early can we see something like this happen? All that stuff we will hopefully get answers to when we have, again, Bill Shaken from the LA Times on next week. So until then, I am your host, Daniel Garcia. And you can always reach us at allangelspodcast at gmail.com. That's allangelspodcast at gmail.com or our social media feed, Halo underscore Haven, both on Twitter and on Instagram. And this has been another edition of the All Angels Podcast. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Hey! 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be.